And now I want to invite you all to pray with me. Lord Christ, even though we had faith enough to move mountains, without love, what would we be? You love us. Without your spirit alive in our hearts, what would we be? You love us. Taking everything upon yourself, you open for us a road to faith, to trust in God who wants neither suffering nor human distress. It's the spirit of Christ, spirit of compassion, spirit of praise. Your love for each one of us will never disappear. Amen. So that prayer I just read is from this to Zay prayer book. Uh, when I first went in the ministry, it was one of the uh, first books that was uh, gifted to me. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it in a moment. But first, so last week I peeled back a little bit of the onion to share with you my affinity for the hit TV show, Naked and Afraid. And by a show of hands, did anybody watch it last night? There was a new episode on at 11 o'clock last night. I'm not lying about that because I stayed up to watch it. But so if you weren't here last week and you want to find out why I love Naked and Afraid, just Google Tear Hardy Naked and Afraid and you'll find out all you need to know. Don't do that, actually. Just search. Go to the church website. Yeah. So we're going to peel back a little bit more of the onion this morning. Uh, and I want to tell you about a bucket list trip of mine that I have not yet taken. Uh, I want to go to a monastery in France. I don't want to join a monastery in France. I just want to visit it for a few days. <laughs> to say the organization that wrote the book that I just read from is an ecumenical community in France's Burgundy region. And this monastery was founded during World War II by a guy named Brother Roger. And it began as a place where he and other people would live out the scriptures as fully as they possibly could. They were trying earnestly in the midst of war and chaos during World War II throughout Europe to live a different kind of Christian life. And since the end of the, once the war ended, Protestant and Catholic brothers have been coming together to live in community with one another, united in the ministry of Christ, seeking to be a community of kindness, simplicity, and reconciliation. Don't mind the man digging in me. This is weird. Uh, anyways. Yeah. So the Zay community has become a point of pilgrimage for young Christians from all over the world as they seek to learn what it means to live in an intentional community with one another, but also at the same time to study scripture with one another, to learn from one another, to learn how folks from around the world read the Bible differently than perhaps I might read it from my place of privilege here in the United States. So that's today. This is so weird and awkward. I'm sorry. 
this nice new fancy room, and this is what we've got going on. All right. But anyway, so this morning we find ourselves in our scripture reading uh, back in Jesus' farewell discourse. Right, we're at the tail end of it. Last week we were in there talking about uh, the Spirit uh, and Jesus talking about the Spirit coming uh, and being with the disciples that they wouldn't do things on their own. But now Jesus has shifted from talking to his disciples to now being prayer. Just a few short chapters ago, Jesus had entered the city of Jerusalem as a mighty conquering warrior, hero who the Jews thought were gonna, was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. But now just a few days later, Jesus is preparing to leave this world. And in doing so, he's preparing his followers, his disciples, for what was to come. In the coming hours, Judas would betray Jesus for a few pieces of silver. And then Peter would deny knowing Christ in his most vulnerable moments. So Jesus knows that what will come, and the, witness, and the disciples witnessing it, will shake them to their core. It will rattle their faith in him that they have been developing over the last three years. In the coming hours, the disciples are going to begin to ask questions. And in doing so, before doubting Thomas was doubting Thomas, the doubts will start to creep in. And once the doubts start to creep in, they start to confront one another's doubts. And in confronting one another's doubts, they confront one another's perceived lack of faith. And as that begins to happen, the faith that they had in this rabbi that they had been traveling with for over a thousand days, this unity that they found in Christ, will begin to splinter. The disciples are going to begin to argue. And in doing so, disagreement will come to the forefront of the community, placing the liberating good news Christ is risen. Christ is ascended as an afterthought. Looking at the first Christian communities that St. Paul was writing to, it seems much of what Paul was addressing in his letters was disunity, fighting amongst the communities he was writing to. Instead of focusing on unity in him, Jesus foresees dysfunction, human tendencies taking the place of his call to love, his call to seek justice, and his call to work for mercy. So then Jesus does what he can do better than any high priest in the temple, better than any of his disciples, and better than any one of your most faithful grandmothers. He prays. He's in the garden, the place where in a few moments he'll be arrested, and he said, I've given them glory that, that you gave me, so they can be one just as we are one, we being Jesus and God. I am in them and you are in me, so that they will be made perfectly one. And the world will know that you sent me, that you love me. Father, even though the world didn't know you, I've known you, and these believers know that you've sent me. I've made your name known to them and will continue to make it known, so that your love for me will be in them. And I myself be in them. That they. Jesus is not just talking about the disciples. Jesus is talking about us. That they may be one as we. Jesus and God, our creator, are one. So whenever you think you're having a bad day, just remember, Christ is praying for you. 
Before you entered into this world, Christ has been praying for you. You Throughout his ministry, Jesus repeatedly pointed to the oneness that he shared with the one who sent him, the one who created each of us, in addition to the oneness that he shares with us. It's crazy. The embodied unity of Jesus, our, our creator in the Holy Spirit, has been highlighted week after week in our readings since Easter. You know, on the cross, Jesus declared that God's will be done. And in that, his obedience would fulfill not only the scriptures, but also glorify God. The unity of God, the Creator, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, serves as an, as an example for what Jesus meant in his prayers for his disciples 2,000 years ago and for us as disciples today. You know, Jesus isn't praying for unity for the sake of unity, so that we can gather on Sunday mornings and we can share some food and maybe we can get together every now and then and read Scripture This isn't unity for the sake of having church council meetings not last an ungodly amount of time. It's not unity so that we can have perfectly defined doctrine and perfectly laid out books of discipline and perfectly organized churches. It's not unity so that we can just go through the motions of what we think it means to follow Christ. Jesus said unity so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity so that the world will have faith. That's pretty huge. It's unity for us so that others can have faith and live out their lives of faith through a unified church that they find. Jesus isn't just talking about Mount Olivet or the United Methodist Church. He's talking about the church, Big C Church. Catholic church, not Rome Catholic, but Catholic in the universal sense. The problem, though, is that for many of us, we think that unity comes from neatly defined doctrinal statements and books of discipline. We try to make others conform to what we believe to be the correct expression, practice, and teaching. And in doing so, we begin the process of splintering and breaking apart That which unified Christ's lordship. Christ is Lord and everything else is bull. I can't say it in church, but Stanley Hauerwas said it. He teaches at a Methodist seminary. So if you want to know the rest of the sentence, again, go to Google and you'll find out what Stanley said. Christ's lordship, because of his faithfulness. His faithful unity with our creator is the unifying point for the church. At the end of the day, we can faithfully and respectfully debate doctrine, discipline, and church law. But if we lose sight of Christ as our one unifier, Christ as our Lord, then the faithful debate that we engage in is for absolutely nothing. Unity in Christ is a powerful witness to the world. After all, Jesus prayed that our unity would bring others to faith. We are a community of people marked by waters, not only of our own baptism, but by Christ's baptism as well. And we are sent out into the world to faithfully embody the unity of God in our community. This maybe three mile radius from here, but also into the world. Our sending and our embodiment makes us dependent upon one another. 
If a single person or a group of people are told to leave, take their Bibles and go somewhere else because of doctrinal disputes, then we have missed the point of Christ's lordship and we have failed to be faithful to Christ's prayer for unity. If the hand tells the foot that it's not needed and can be cut off and discarded, friends, the body can never be unified. The disposal mentality towards others when living in community, living in a community where our identity is in Christ's lordship, in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, it tells folks that we are anything but unified. Our lack of faithfulness to Christ's prayer for you, and he tells those still looking to find faith, those who are skeptical of what we talk about and what we do as a community, it makes them wonder if they're actually welcome to step through the doors. When the reality is, we are the ones who have been invited to Christ's table of grace despite our lack of unity. And it's at Christ's table of grace where we find ourselves unified with his sacrificial, sacrificial offering for us. Jesus said, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples. When you love one another. What I love about the Tazay community is that the work that the community has been engaged in since 1940 is rooted in unity. Unity among Christians and after World War II, bringing Europe back together, but also unifying the church in the midst of division and disagreement. I don't think there's any other place in the world where you will find Protestants and Catholics. And by Protestants, I mean like the 5,000 different kinds of Protestants that there are. Gathered together in prayer. Earnestly seeking God's will, not only for themselves, but for the world. But at the forefront of what the Tazay community does, is that they point to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Unity in the community is not done for the sake of attracting another bus full of pilgrims ready to max out their credit cards on books and trinkets, but it's rather to share the life-saving grace of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, the brothers are now dependent upon one another for their daily care and needs. The work beginning with Brother Roger and continuing in France today lives into exactly what Christ said there in John 13, that this is how the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another, so that the world may come to have faith in Christ. The world will know Christ's love not by the unity that we advertise in the Washington Post or in carefully placed Facebook ads, but by the unity we find in Christ's love for one another, beyond Mount Olivet, beyond the United Methodist Church, but at the same time, including us, in showing the world Christ's love through the way that we earnestly and truly love one another. The good news is that through Christ's faithfulness to us, Christ's prayer just before he was betrayed, it doesn't change Christ's prayer does not change because of our lack of faith or our lack of unity. Our lack of unity, our willingness to cut off, to push people to the side, telling them they're not welcome, they're not part of this community or the universal church, 
It doesn't reduce what happened in the manger in Bethlehem. It doesn't reduce, diminish what happened when Christ emerged from his baptismal waters. It doesn't change what happened when you emerged from your baptismal waters. It definitely doesn't change what happened on that Calvary hill in the empty tomb or Christ's ascension to the Father. Amen.